They're trying to wash us away. They're trying to wash us away. Now Louisiana. Now Louisiana. I don't think anything is off the table in terms of what would like influence us, but I think there is some sort of um, limit to to our sound. You know, I, I want to keep it very primal and uh, simplistic. I wanted to do something that was catchy and fun, and if you weren't moshing and stage diving, you'd want to be singing along or headbanging. Airbuds and Airworms, I'm Amy, we're going to be the Solemn Shepherd, and this is... Mitchell Manley, Reverend Observer. Oh, see, I knew you'd have something clever. You always do. Um, so this week, actually, I believe this is uh, a theme that you brought, and I, like, let's just go into why we brought this theme. Um, well, technically, I got the idea from Lum, uh, one of our ear buddies and one of my best good friends in the whole wide world. Um, recently, uh, Riley Gale from a band called Power Trip, uh, passed away in the last week or so. And, uh, I know it hit Lum pretty big and, you know, it's just been a, a terrible year for, for deaths and music because of COVID and for other things. And so, uh, he and I got to talking and he was like, man, this would be a really good episode. And, uh, you know, you and I kind of discussed if it should be only 2020 or if we should open it up, uh, and whether, you know. Uh, I know that we had talked about maybe waiting until the end of the year because, like you had said, uh, a lot more folks are probably, unfortunately, going to pass away. But I really wanted to get in now while uh, while we were kind of in this spirit because Lum and I had both been kind of thinking about Riley Gale from Power Trip. And so we figured we'd, uh, since we hadn't done this before, you know, kind of pay some, pay some respect to a, a lot of the musicians that we've lost along the way that meant a lot to us. Yeah, and it's more like throughout the past few years or like, uh, you know, yeah, just basically really. any any musician that that made an impact on you that uh, that's no longer around, and and you know some of them, some of these people have died in their seventies, and some of them died in their twenties, you know, and uh, it's a huge range. But the cool thing is they all left their music behind, and it's still meaningful, and it still you know lives on in all of us who enjoy it. So yeah, uh, what did you bring this week? I'm gonna start us off with Cave In and their song Trepany.
know I've brought Cave in a few times before. They're one of my all-time favorite bands, and I'm super obsessed with their front man, Stephen Brodsky, who's also in a band called Mutoid Man. Uh, does a lot of the two minutes to late night stuff that we talked about a few weeks ago. So, you know, I could talk forever about him and that aspect of the band, but unfortunately, in, in early 2018, Cave In lost their bass player, Caleb Schofield. Uh, he was in a really awful car accident and didn't make it, and that was a pretty huge hit for me. You know, I never got to see Cave In, and and Caleb played a huge part in their sound. Uh, he was a really dynamic bass player. He's almost always playing something with a lot of movement and energy to it. Uh, and while Steven Brodsky still does the occasional heavy vocals, Caleb Schofield also did most of the heavy vocals for the band so that Brodsky could save his voice for all the melodic stuff. Um, he, Caleb was also in a seminal band called Old Man Gloom, who are a huge name in like modern doom metal and like sludge metal, has members of ISIS and Converge. So yeah, whenever we lost Caleb Schofield, like heavy music took a huge hit. And uh, I'm sad to say it, I never got to see him perform live, but I'm super grateful that, you know, uh, to have the music that he made and to still kind of keep his keep his spirit alive by listening to cave in i think that this is like a really good song to start in because um you know in a lot of ways uh they're when someone is lost in the music industry people you know there's always gonna be that snarky person who's like you didn't know them but um people aren't really replaceable and, you know, he, he, his, uh, influence like affected a lot of musicians and the sounds of like favorite bands and such. Mm-hmm. So I think that this is one of those times when we can reflect on how, um, even though we may not think this specific person is really important, that, um, that grief that happens afterwards, like people are important and aren't replaceable. I'm sure Caven hasn't like replaced him, right? Right, yeah. I think they might, uh, for a tour, they might have someone else, but it's like a guy who's been in their inner circle since day one and who, you know, has, has been involved and is super basically family to these guys. So they would not just replace him with just anyone. He was a huge part of their band. Yeah, and I think that this is this is a very specific type of like, this band really, because, you know, there's heavy music and people just think of only the Cookie Monster, as you say, right. sound. But this is like that mix of like the melodic and the harder sounds. And I, I really appreciate a band like that where they kind of like bend a little bit on that genre where it's not just all one part thing and you can see the innovation that occurs. Um, I really like that you brought this. It's really good. And uh, it does kind of show his his contribution to, you know, vocally his contribution, but also like the movement with the bass. And uh, I really appreciate it. Um, when, when did he died in like 2018? Yeah, it was like March of 2018, I think. So they haven't really made any new music since then, I bet. No, they haven't. Uh, they yeah. did, uh, they put together a huge tribute show for him and, and raised a shit ton of money for his family, which was really cool. Mm-hmm. And I think Cave In may have played one or two shows uh, since then and, and further raised a little bit more money. But yeah, I don't think they have any plans to do more cave in music at the moment. Cool. I should really delve more into them. Cause I really like that kind of mix between hard and not so hard music. Um, I didn't bring anything relatively new this week. Um, this week I brought Lou Reed's Andy's chest. If I could be any one of the things in this world that might Instead of the dentured ocelot on a leash, I'd rather be a kite. 
and be tied to the end of your string and flying in the air babe at night cause you know what they say about honey bears when you shave off all their baby hair you have a hairy minded pink bear bear Suckers are flying after you Yesterday Daisy, May and Biff Were grooving on the street And just like in a movie I was sitting and contemplating Who probably impacted me most uh, In the musical realm of like Music that I love and endeared And what really hurt me when someone passed um, it's no secret how much I love the Velvet Underground and the art world that revolved around them. Uh, this is a song that references Andy Warhol as kind of like a predator snake in, in almost a beloved kind of way. Like, he's a snake, but like kind of amazing. Um, and if you're going to burn bridges, you might as well make it a big, fiery, burny one. Uh, Lou Reed had a very complicated relationship with the art world because of Andy Warhol and the popularity that he gained within it. This song is more of the pop rock that I really appreciate from Lou Reed, although he was known for some straight up really hard to listen to experimental rock in his solo work, as well as the Velvet Underground, which is not everyone's cup of tea. Uh, there is such a bite to his lyrics and kind of like this griminess that is very New York that I always wanted to have in my life when I was in college. And as I've gotten older, I feel like I've gotten more scraped up and scuffed by the world. And Lou Reed more or less like kind of probably pushed me in that direction of you know experiencing experiences and while he did not we he wasn't taken too soon or in any type of tragic manner he was an old man when he passed but like I always like you know kind of held that Lou Reed space because he's just he was just a total badass but a jackass as well and I highly suggest Transformer as like one of these most amazing albums because there's just so much good that it was on it um when Lou Reed passed, it was probably one of like the hardest celebrity deaths, I guess, um, that I ever felt. Uh, him and Leonard Cohen, even though Leonard Cohen was very open about the fact that he was sick and dying, but I don't know. Musically, Lou Reed just like it was a punch in the gut, and I was very torn up about it. Yeah, see, I, I was never like a big super uh, super fan for Velvet Underground, like a lot of the folks that I know. But I have always had a soft spot for Lou Reed, both in uh, Velvet Underground and as a solo musician. His voice kind of reminds me of of like what Bob Dylan would sound like <laughs> if I didn't hate him. You know, it's got like a very conversational tone to it, but like a very distinct melody and direction. And it just kind of makes all the songs sounds like he's literally just singing his soul and like creating the soundtrack to his life as he like harmoniously sings words into existence. And, you know, considering his penchant for drugs early on and for various other forms of hard living, he's definitely lucky to have made it as far as he did. Uh, and even more astonishing is that he was still creating and still putting out work even at the end of his life. So, yeah, Lou Reed was just such a badass. And I'm really glad that I was able to to bond with his music before he passed away. Yeah, I would have loved to have been yelled at in a, like a New York deli by him because I'm pretty right. sure he would have yelled at me because he was like a cranky old man from the time he was in his 20s. 
So I just, I don't know. Everything about Lou Reed's like cragliness, I kind of really appreciated. Especially, I don't know. There's something he's, about he's got like perpetual artful. old man face, which I appreciate. <laughs> yeah. Perpetual cranky old man face. Yes, exactly. Um, so our ear buddy selections this week are, you know, they're kind of, we, there's a lot of stories and I really appreciate that. And of course, our first selection, uh, the inspiration for this episode is Loam, who brought power trips, if not us, then who? says news of riley gale's passing hit me really hard he exemplified things about the hardcore scene that i carry with me as i near 40 years old he tried to use the incredible platform he found himself on as the front person of thrash titan's power trip to make powerful statements about tolerance and solidarity with minority communities to a scene of mostly white and mostly male participants that are ripe for the kind of chicken hawking that hate groups and the alt-right movement used to recruit that mattered now as much as ever Here's a song off the Power Trip LP Nightmare Logic asking one of those important questions. Rest in power, Riley. Yeah, so this is a this is a recent death from a week or so ago. Shook a lot of my friends, uh, including Lum, who posted this. Uh, Lum's a huge hardcore aficionado, and he's always flooding me with classic hardcore that he's nerding out over, or like new hardcore bands that he finds. And the truth is that while I love hardcore, it's not a genre that I spend a whole lot of time exploring on my own these days. Uh, but occasionally there will be bands that stand out, and it's usually a hardcore band that does something a little more than just hardcore. And Power Trip is the priming example of that. Like their style is probably more accurate, accurately described as crossover thrash. It's super, you know, it's heavily influenced by early hardcore, but it takes a lot of cues from heavy metal and thrash as well. So you get these fast-paced rippers that have a little bit of catchiness and a lot more dimension to the sound. Uh, lots of fun shredding guitar solos. The vocals tend to have a little bit more range than traditional hardcore. So yeah, Power Trip were such an anomaly for me, like blending a lot of the classic heavy music into something familiar, but also just enough edge to be unique and a bit progressive. Uh, it's just such a bummer that, that we had to lose Riley Gale at such a young age. Uh, in hardcore, your front man is often the focal point for your shows. He's the one running around stage and like engaging the room, putting the mic into the crowd so that the fans can sing along. And so he's a singer and a hype man all in one. And although I never got to see Power Trip live myself, it's clear from like videos and from fan testimony, Riley was just an irreplaceable part of the band and, and an irreplaceable figure in the in the landscape of heavy music. I think that, um, as uh, Lum was saying that, you know, 
hardcore and sort of like this kind of thrash music uh, definitely is the place where a lot of misunderstood white boys go. And that's where they find their solace. And I I really appreciate that Riley Gale, although I had never even heard of him before you brought him up initially, uh, that, you know, he was putting out music that was very much aimed towards these folks and maybe trying to like, hey, be a little more progressive and have like a stance. And while it's easy to... um, I think tease musicians who want to have like a stance like common, how much does common get like shit, you know, and to make music for the people that you want to help like kind of guide is really important. And so it seems like Riley was like a really good dude. And I think that the song is a perfect example of how like biases can be fixed before they become a problem. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And that's, you know, in that group, it can be very toxic, like, within hardcore music. it It's kind of scary if you're, like, growing up as a female in, like, a bunch of guys who can't get dates because we're all teenagers and we all suck. You know, that's, uh, yeah, I, I think that's a good influence. Good job, Riley. Um, our next ear buddy is Taylor R., who brings Limbic Systems True Skull. say it has been a couple of years since the end of limbic system but the loss of michael bell was a very big loss for a small group of dedicated people yeah i'm glad that taylor brought this one to the show this week i've heard and seen the name uh limbic system a ton over the years but i've never got around to really listening to them and i really enjoyed it um i'm a big fan of like the ambient electronic music bands like bonobo the album leaf boards of canada flying lotus so this is definitely way up my alley um i found that limbic system was two brothers jared and michael bell and unfortunately michael bell passed away almost four years ago due to some undisclosed circumstances Uh, it's kind of a similar situation with riley from power trip who we just heard about as well Uh, it's always kind of troubling to read about people passing away to undisclosed circumstances my mind usually goes to suicide or like accidental overdose uh, which are both just tremendously tragic ways to go but since it's undisclosed we'll never know for sure and we'll likely always kind of lack a little bit of that closure as to what happened or or what was going on in that person's mind leading to their death um you know it's just it's it's a tough thing to wrestle with but i'm i'm glad that we have their music and their their spirit kind of lives on in the fans cuz that's the real dream you know like creating art and and sharing yourself with others in such a way that that love and admiration lives on after you're gone you know yeah 
I think a lot of what hurts about losing musicians or influential people to us is that as listeners and partakers of their art is truly difficult to cope with. Um, There's a type of grief. It's like uh, when you feel like you have no right to grieve because you didn't actually know the person or something like that. And I think that, you know, I, we, we try to cope with that when we lose somebody that we've been listening to and have really touched us that may not have ever even known you existed. It's like difficult and our natural human desires are to find out what happened. And well, in the end, I don't think it really matters that much because it just hurts. And, you know, maybe knowing the specifics won't necessarily help. Um, I just think the song is super contemplative but also it shows the power of instrumental music uh to really reach into people's souls and the little bit of lyrics that are in here I don't I think they're like backwards or something I don't know what they are but I think that they're really um it really just shows how music can kind of convey a mood and like touch people our next year buddy is Hunter who brings Morphine's Souvenir says mark salmon has always been alluring to me because he was so diy sliding on two strings drove a cab worked in the mailroom most of his adult life and when his music finally gained traction he kept his age a secret because he was a bit older than everyone else and didn't want to be dismissed because of it i can relate to that secret uh button stuffs and keeping his life compartmentalized so that he could keep trying from a cursory research sandman was like definitely this super quiet person about his personal life and pretty much got very defensive about it um you know you want to keep like your your life to yourself in some ways like he didn't necessarily want to share his existence with everyone which i i can kind of respect uh i think it can it kind of gets conveyed through the song um it's you know i mean he wasn't very old that's the thing is like yeah, he was a little on the middle age side, but he wasn't very old. But I can see how being defensive of it would be important. Um, you know, this song, like he passed in 1999, I believe, and mm-hmm. he was only in his 40s. But when you're thinking about that era of music, it was all about that 15 and 16 year old girl, like singing pop tunes. And so in the music industry, yeah, you'd want to kind of keep like your secret to yourself. Um, his music just really conveys like this very mysterious uh, secret life that I think that maybe if he'd been more open about who he was or his age or something, maybe he wouldn't have made it, but it's really cool. And the way he died, I guess is kind of poetic. I mean, a lot of people want to, 
a lot of people want to make art up until the very end, and he literally was on stage in and performing when he passed. Yep. Yeah, Morphine is just, they're such an interesting band. Like, they're part slowcore, alternative rock, part kind of jazzy trip hop, and all delivered with this, like, unassuming moxie and attitude. Uh, that slow, murky bass sound is surely an influence on bass players like Les Claypool or on the more, like, entrancing stoner rock bands like Ohm. Um, I discovered Morphine in like the late 2000s. It was probably like a good six or seven years uh, after Sandman's death in 1999. And what an unfortunate death it was. Like you said, he had a, he had a heart attack on stage mid-show in Italy. Um, but even in current music, like I'll hear parts uh, of a song or like certain aesthetics in a song that seem to bear that undeniable influence from Morphine and from the work of Mark Sandman. Uh, he was kind of a reclusive person, so I don't know a whole lot about him as a person, but you can kind of tell from the music and his vibe that he was kind of a dark-spirited dude, but with a flair for charisma, and so I sort of feel a, a mild kinship to that vibe, you know, even though I tend to be a, a bit more open and sunshiny than he was. Um, so yeah, I've, I, it's been a long time since I've listened to Morphine, so I'm glad to have that that hook back in my ear so that I can, you know, appreciate and and honor his work all over again. And it's truly entrancing. Like, it's very mysterious music. Right. Yeah, it's super, super cool. Um, Jacques brings uh, DJ Screw's Love TKO. Trying to hold on, faith is gone. It's just another sad song. I think I better let it go. What you say about it looks like another love TKO. says dj screwed to the superlative mix of teddy pendergrass's love tko which i like even more than the original r.i.p to them both yeah so so for those who have never heard dj screw he's one of the most seminal acts in underground hip-hop his style informed tons of contemporary music and even parts of hip-hop and and electronic music like subculture uh, his big heyday was from around 1995 to the year 2000 when he passed away so uh Many folks have, have tried to mimic and jock his style since then. Uh, he's especially well known for a technique called chopping and screwing, uh, you know, which you get a pretty good example of here. He'd take a lot of old soul and R&B records and he'd slow them down. He'd change the pitch. Sometimes he'd chop up the drum beats or other rhythmic elements to sort of rearrange them or, or use it to emphasize extra beats to keep the energy flowing despite the slower tempos. You know, in the, in the 80s and the early 90s, so much of hip hop was about being hard and rapping fast over these gangsta beats. 
but DJ Screw wanted to slow things down and, and make made this subgenre of hip hop that was a little more chill and a little more self reflexive and self indulgent, more that you know late night laid back vibe than an aggressive and in your face style. So you know whenever his beats and his remixes started to drop, we started to hear way more slower beats and rap songs, and and more people outside of hip hop started using that chopped and screwed technique in their own music. Uh, usually really chill electronic music. You know, we had a, a, our episode about Vaporwave a little while back. So anyone familiar with Vaporwave music, you'll immediately recognize the influence. Um, a huge part of Vaporwave is essentially chopping and screwing old 80s pop and R&B, but with, with sort of a, a mind toward synthy electronic music instead of the hip-hop beats. Uh, and of course, for anyone unaware, DJ Screw was also known for popularizing recreational codeine use among like a certain demographic demographic of like hip hop and, and electronic music fans. If you've ever heard of Lean, which is a mixture of Sprite and, and like purple codeine cough syrup, uh, that's what DJ Screw and a lot of other folks would drink because it puts them in this super chill, super relaxed headspace. I mean, it's an opiate. And it sort of emphasizes and amplifies that effect of, of their like dramatically slowed down musical style. Uh, unfortunately, though, that fatal attraction to Codeine was what took him out way too early at the age of 29. So I can only imagine what sort of insanity and innovation he was he was headed for after essentially changing the course of underground music by the age of 29. Oh, yeah. Like, uh, I mean, we're going to later hit on another artist that was probably most likely and, you know, DJ Screw very much influenced just in pace and how the music's constructed. Right. Um, I had heard of chopping and screwing and I didn't know that it was linked to anyone specifically. Um, this, of course, is very much my speed because, well, you know, I'm all about vaporwave and lo-fi hip hop and things that are very synthy, but also beat like kind of beat driven, but like contemplating the beats. Um, I, I know we always joke about me not knowing how to inject the marijuana, but stories like this always scared me. Like some musician did something a little too, um, I guess, pharmaceutical and we lose them. Uh, losing someone before they could have truly shown us the long legacy and where they would have gone is, you know, it's, it's just sad. And it, it makes me warier working in a, a cardiovascular unit because all I see are like, not all I see, but a lot of what I see is something induced by, uh, you know, self-medicating that it's just unfortunate because you, you see a lot of sad stories where people can't even get a heart transplant because of like, uh, they use drugs, so now they don't trust them to not use drugs, and then their lives are cut short. But I, I think that the end of this song really shows a lot of the underpinnings of uh, that chopping and screwing sound where it kind of devolves, and you Definitely. can see you don't necessarily see um, how this music was constructed until the very end because it sounds so natural. So when I think chopping and screwing, I don't think of something that fluid. And I, I wish that we could have had more music. Um, it's sad that he's gone at 29 because, like, come on. We could have had so much more. And I think that's the, that's the sadness of losing someone really young in the music, like, from their art, you know. Mm. We, we get robbed from their art. Um, our next dear buddy is Jeremy, who brings Tommy Keens on the runway. I would
And he says, number one for me, three years this Thanksgiving, haven't gotten over it, never will. This song is so fresh and it's hard to believe that the maker is not right with us right now or that it was made recently. Uh, apparently Tommy Keen was making some of this most very listenable music that had been like hanging out on the down low for years because cult followings need to be louder, y'all. Just saying. We all have to keep it all a secret. And of course it also goes into that trying to find out some, how someone died to feel um, somehow more okay about it because of course Wikipedia says he died of cardiac arrest, which is literally what kills us all. Cardiac arrest is what takes most of us. Um, our heart stops. So I was like, I wanted to like dig into more music. And of course, I'm reading his Wikipedia and I saw cardiac arrest. I was like, that's what we say everything is. So I was really bummed out. I'm glad that he got to make music for decades, but I wish I'd known about him before today. Yeah, so I, I wasn't familiar with Tommy Keen at all either. But as soon as I posted the thread this week, uh, Jeremy and Charlie both immediately posted Tommy Keen independent of each other at the exact same time. So uh, with those two great minds thinking alike in that moment, I knew I would be in for a treat. Uh, Charlie said that Tommy Keen was a power pop genius. He died suddenly on Thanksgiving Day three years ago. He was a favorite artist of both Charlie and his dad and was one of the first artists that Charlie ever interviewed, which I, I think is an amazing story. Um, y'all were definitely right about him being a power pop genius. Uh, this starts off kind of unassuming, like some standard early nineties, sunshiny alt rock. Uh, but in the middle, it drops into this incredibly catchy bridge with these triumphant chord intervals and like this really punchy and cutting bass line that just sends you flying through the air. And, and between Charlie and Jeremy, there's like 15 incredible Tommy Keen songs in the thread this week, uh, including one that uh, Tommy Keen did with Robert Pollard from Guided by Voices, who notoriously I'm not a huge fan of. But this whole record that, that Tommy Keen did with uh, Robert Pollard is actually incredible. So that might be the key into Guided by Voices for me. We'll have to, we'll have to dig into that. But yeah, I'm, I'm really stoked to, uh, to discover his music and learn more about him. I'll probably be trying to steal all his power pop tricks so that I can honor him with my own music. Yeah. Uh, can you just make power pop whenever we can go to venues again? Yeah, that's the plan. I'm going to try to make like the catchiest shit I possibly can. I will make everybody I will happy. Front row. <laughs> that's that's going to be whenever Earbuds and Earworms finally finally has a live show. It'll be like Mitchell just making power pop tunes. I'm It'll be very it. self-indulgent. <laughs> um, Lauren is our next ear buddy, and she brings Elliot Smith's No Name Number One.
Uh, she says, Elliot Smith really hurt. I was a huge fan, and my friend EJ called me and told me that he had passed. I was sick with the flu and cried like crazy. The first time I really ever heard his music, I was at a friend's house, and they had him playing in the background. My ears perked up, and I was like, whoa, what is this? Just always so raw with biting wit. Here's a favorite off my favorite album of his. So I'm a lame and I did not know about like Elliot Smith and Toy until I watched the Royal Tenenbaums, which was probably a while after it came out. Um, I was instantly super upset that the maker of Needle in the Hay wasn't still making music because I just wanted all of it. It's like there's something so thoughtful about his music and you just want to listen to more. Um, it's absolutely entrancing music. It swings in with this rhythm that just keeps on swaying you and the lyrics are so very much about just living your life in your head that you just want more of living your life in your head. And I, I guess I wish Elliot Smith had lived a little less in his head so that we could have had right. more Elliot Smith. Yeah. Yeah, unfortunately, I didn't discover Elliot Smith until a few years after his death. But whenever I found his music, I fell into it really hard. Uh, I think just about anyone in our age group who struggles with depression has probably had a lengthy Elliot Smith phase. I definitely had mine in the late 2000s. Uh, he was just such an incredible guitar player. I'm always blown away by the, the guitar comping that he does while he's singing at the same time. He just had such an authentic and heartfelt quality to his voice. He's got some of the most beautiful and poignant lyrics you'll ever hear, and they're all just so real and so honest about depression and mental illness and substance abuse and like reconciling his fame with his negative self-worth just a really complex and talented dude who, who wrote some of the most moving and heart-wrenching songs of all time uh, his death was super tragic he was found with two knife wounds in his chest and the autopsy came back inconclusive about whether the 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 wounds were self-inflicted or possibly the result of a homicide so it's really ambiguous and strange uh, he was only 34 years old at the time and, and were it not for his demons probably would have written 20 more albums worth of gorgeous emotional music but uh, unfortunately as charlie mentioned in the thread uh, from having seen elliot smith live the year of his death it seemed like he had kind of been on a, a pretty unavoidable decline and that that it was not a matter of if but when the, the the other shoe would drop and we'd lose him so just such a shame and, and even though i wasn't yet a fan when he died this is definitely a musician death that i, I really lament and regret uh, Elliot Smith's music has had a huge impact on me and, and shaped a lot of my own tastes and a lot of my own songwriting. So I, I really do wish he was still cranking out music to kind of help me through the growing pains of depression and adulthood. And, you know, just he, he, he could have been just a few steps ahead of me and, and there would always be something for me to, to look forward to and listen to and relate to in, in Elliot Smith's music. Yeah. And I mean, while I don't think anybody ever truly like beats depression, I would have liked to see his music evolve as he maybe more or less tried to cope with his uh, his issues like in a healthier manner as opposed to how he did. Right. So, but it makes me sad. Um, our next ear buddy is Charlie, who brings Juice World's Fast. Time really moves fast, 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 fast But hurry up and get in your bag, 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 bag I'm with Dior and not a fan I know that these niggas getting mad, 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 mad My hand on my 
trigger, I'ma die Respect, yeah Follow my money and get dog like that, yeah I go through so much I'm 19 years old It's been months since I felt at home But it's okay, cause I'm rich Psych, I'm still sad as a bitch, right? I don't want nobody to think that I'm an asshole I don't try to be mean on purpose, I promise My mama told me better than that, I'll be honest I'll blame it on the drugs and this life I'm involved in I Still came, yeah, yeah, still I'm talking about life. Talking about life, yeah. I've been living fast, 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 fast. Feeling really bad, 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 bad. Time really moves fast, 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 fast. But hurry up and get in your bag, 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 bag. Oh, where do you are? Not a fan. I know these niggas getting mad, 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 mad. I ain't on my trigger, I'ma die. Respect, girl. Follow my money, you get dollars. Charlie says, I was also shocked and saddened at the sudden passing of Jared Higgins, a.k.a. Juice World, last December. Saw his set at Bonnaroo six months earlier and loved his energy and melodies, this track in particular. If you read or watch his interviews, you can tell he was driven and wise beyond his years. Maybe not the best judge of character, evidenced by the circumstances of his death, but how many of us were at age 21? It's so cruel when someone so young doesn't get a second chance. Very I believe. True. Yeah, I know, right? Um, I believe I just recently learned of Juice World at the beginning of this COVID thing because he had an album that came out. Um, somebody had mentioned it to me or shared it to me on Spotify, which you know means I have to go to YouTube. <laughs> um, it was released posthuman. Hum- I hate this word posthumously. Um, and there's quite a few songs that actually he'd been featured in that come out since he's passed. It seems like. His lyrics were really self-reflective and a lot less about how awesome hip-hop is, but it points out how quickly his life is moving, and sometimes he gets a little too into it, and that maybe he just he doesn't feel his best, but he's being very honest. And I, I, I heard that this is called emo rap, which I'm here for, and I wish that we had more of him. Definitely, like, I would definitely have liked to see his music become much larger and... Uh, more popular because it's very self-reflective and just the way in which he delivered his music and constructed his uh, beats and everything was it's very engaging yeah i'm in, i'm admittedly out of touch with a lot of the modern hip-hop at the moment and i only heard juice world for the first time a couple of weeks ago one of my friends from high school was talking about how all her 13 year old son listens to his rap and that his favorite was was juice world and she wanted me to give him some better music but then i listened to juice world and i was like i don't know it's pretty dope i don't think your son needs me <laughs> uh, i actually didn't even realize that he had died until until charlie posted this and what an awful way to go basically he was busted with some drugs on an airplane and ended up eating a bunch of pills that he had on him trying to dispose of the evidence uh, and it unfortunately was a toxic amount that ended up killing him uh, and like Charlie said we were all dumb when we were young and you know at 21 he had so much time to turn it around but that fast life caught up with him a little too quick I'm definitely glad that I discovered his music though he's got a lot of really great lyrics uh, a lot of the ones in this song are actually really prescient about the life that he had been living and and kind of lamenting how out of hands things might get if he kept on uh, he uses a lot of melodic elements that get stuck in your head and the production's really spacey and dreamy which I love and it almost kind of calls back to the influence of DJ Screw making those chilled out kind of opiate induced slow tracks so he's definitely a, a standout in the in the current landscape of like 
rap, you know, against sort of staccato lyrics and the stale trap beats, which seems to be pretty much everything these days. He's definitely uh, much better and much more original than that, I think. Yeah, and I've got to point out, like, as I was mentioning earlier, I was like, I'm pretty sure uh, Juice World is very heavily influenced by DJ Screw. Mm-hmm. And uh, before today, I would not have ever put those two together. So, yeah. Um, uh, our final ear buddy this week is uh, Ben, who brings Silver Jew's Random Rules. I know that a lot of what I say has been lifted off a men's room wall. Maybe I crossed the wrong rivers and walked down all the wrong halls. But nothing can change the fact that we used to share a bed. And that's why it scared me so when you turned to me and said, Yeah, you look like someone. Yeah, you look like someone who up and left me low Boy, you look like someone I used to know He says, this one didn't click for me till after his death, but Berman seemed like such a solid dude. This is an example where someone can pass and it kind of ripples. Um, this one actually hit me hard, even though I had never even heard of the Silver Jews before uh, Berman passed. Um, I'm a huge DBTL fan, and uh, Andrew Walsh is one of the co-hosts, and he was a massive Berman fan. And when you listen to someone every single day, and then something affects them, it's going to pass on to you, kind of like as a ripple. And while I had listened to the music in the show Every once in a while it had been popped up. It's just, it's something that's so very self-reflective. And when Andrew got choked up, I found myself like tearing up and instantly felt the loss without even knowing much about the Silver Jews. I knew how important Berman was to other people and the loss of that person just kind of, you know, echoed. And I think that I even showed up on my Facebook and stuff and I was really, you know, upset that I hadn't even discovered this very, con- uh, like, contemplative and very self-reflective and very, you know, touching music uh, before he passed. And I think that the lyrics really convey this existence that, you know, we all want to feel and then we do feel and having music echoed to us like that is just kind of amazing. Yeah, I also mostly missed out on David Berman before his death. Uh, I had a few Silver Jews records that I downloaded ages ago, but never really dug in past a few songs. Uh, there was a time in the mid-2000s where I listened to a whole lot of Pavement and like solo Stephen Malkmus stuff, and Stephen Malkmus is also a member of the Silver Jews as well. So in listening to this, it's tough to know if, if what I'm hearing is the heavy hand of Stephen Malkmus or if what I loved about Stephen Malkmus was always just him cribbing notes from David Berman. But either way, I love everything about this one. Uh, I love that mid-tempo pace, which feels a little bit melancholy. Uh, and you've got the horn section swelling in. It's like really ringing out that drama and the emotion. Uh, the lyrics are a little cryptic, but like just enough meaning to latch onto that you can start to decipher some of what's going on. 
uh, Silver Jews and David Berman's solo stuff definitely deserves a lot more of my attention. Definitely going to let this incredible song serve as the the impetus to kind of dig into the catalog and, and really connect with what he was writing about and what he was feeling at the time. Yeah, it, it's one of those, like, you just want to get to know the the music, like, really, really well, especially. Especially as you see how much it affects other people, too. Mm-hmm. You're like, I've... I've I've missed on something that has been very important, and I wish I hadn't. Um, we do have some feedback this week. Oh, really? We got tweeted. We got tweeted that, which I was really happy. Is it about uh, even our car warranties? I, it's not our car warranties, although um, they do want to talk to us about it. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, so JoJo, whom I forgot to introduce his him as the introducer of. Uh, this band he also pointed out i wrecked the band's name in the metadata and like the show notes so uh, jj brought gdjyb last week and he also was like hey just want to let you know it's a gdjyb those letters get me every time too i think i've got it now not just math rock complex lettering rock might be a genre thanks for playing them they're very cool Yeah, I know, right? It's really good. I'll try to fix it if I can remember um, as I'm like editing my show and stuff or editing our show and stuB so that I can fix GDJYB because there's multiple places I guarantee you I wrecked it. And I was so nervous about the the letters that I even forgot Jojo's name last week. So thanks, Jojo. You're so forgiving. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, if you want to tweet at us like Jojo, you can tweet. I'm at Pow I Gotcha. I'm at Madam Woolite, and the show is at E&D Pod. The Facebook group is Earbuds and Earworms Podcast Group, which is where our theme goes out consistently every single week, and it's a uh, it's 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 always a good thread. It's an amazing thread. The voicemail line is seven three one four zero zero B U D S or seven three one four zero zero two eight three seven. The email is endpod at gmail.com. That is where you can get a hold of us if you want to talk to us about our car's extended warranty. And you can always check out the show, endpod.com, part of the 10710 Network. Uh, what is our final song this week? I'm going to leave us with a band called School of Seven Bells and their song Half Asleep. Um, I've brought School of Seven Bells a couple times before. Um, they're one of my favorite bands that almost none of my friends have heard of. Uh, the band was originally a three-piece. It's two twin sisters, Alejandra and Claudia DeHaza, and a guy named Benjamin Curtis. Uh, Alejandra and Claudia did the vocals, and they played guitars and synths. And Benjamin Curtis did a lot of the drum programming and all the studio production, uh, played guitar live with them as well. Uh, the music's this really unique blend of, of dream pop and shoegaze and ambient electronic uh, but the vocal harmonies range from really lush and angelic to very tense and off kilter and badass vocal harmonies are just the quickest way to get me a, to pay attention to your band. School of Seven Bells is just a really unique band for that, among a million other reasons. Uh, unfortunately, in early 2013, Benjamin Curtis announced that he uh, he had T-cell lymphoma. Uh, and so he, he sadly succumbed to that later that year. One of the sisters, Alejandra, finished and released their last recorded music around three years after Curtis's death and put an official end to the band. Uh, It's a huge bummer that I'll never get another School of Seven Bells album, but I'm always stoked to keep their spirit alive by sharing them any chance I get. Uh, This is one of their earliest tracks, and I think it's a great introduction to their sound. So 
I really hope that, you know, somebody else will hear this and be interested enough to dig into their whole catalog and, and join me in keeping Benjamin Curtis's spirit alive by listening to his music. So uh, with him and his bandmates in mind, I hope you'll enjoy School of Seven Bells and their song Half Asleep. Mm-hmm. 